On the rebound from our trip to Nuremberg, this is Novell Open Audio. Welcome back to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell universe with what's going on inside and around Novell. Okay, I said it backwards that time, but we are back. Aaron Quill and I have just returned uh, as of, I guess, Saturday night back to, uh, where are we again? We are back in the States. We're back in the United States. We're back in our recording studio in Provo, and we've got a lot of material for you guys coming up here. But uh, let's let's start... Um, we we went to a sh- conference called Lug Radio Live, built around the Lug Radio podcast. And Aaron, this is pretty much your first time having uh, really interacted intensely with some of the Lug Radio community. I've had that privilege by going on the UK Lug tour and stuff. What did you think of the conference? What was it, what were some of the things about it? it? As long as you don't tell too many people, because I don't want the thing to be too crowded next year, it was by far the best Linux conference I have ever been to. It was absolutely phenomenal. Why? What, what, what about it? Um, so there were a couple things. Probably uh, one of the things that I liked best was the quality of the attendees. Uh, the conversations that I had with people were just fantastic. Normally, when we go to one of these shows and I've got to sit behind a booth or whatever, really all you get is people coming up to you and doing one of two things. Either they want to gripe and complain about things without really talking about real solutions. They just want to vent or they want free stuff. And I didn't experience any of that at the show. Yeah, it's a far cry from like the big like corporate Linux events and things. I won't name any of them specifically, but I mean, this was not a vendor fest at all, was it? it no, not at all. It was just very cool people to hang out with and have intense conversations. And like I was kind of alluding to before, it was just so cool to when somebody had a complaint, you could really sit down, understand what the issue is they were having, so that then it's easier f- for us to take over to engineering and explain to them what the community wants to see. And we got to, we got to do a lot of uh, fairly intense stuff with people like where we were actually helping them get things like uh, XGL, desktop effects, that kind of stuff going on laptops and things. That's a blast for us. It, it was killer, yeah. People were bringing up, you know, we showed sled off quite a bit during the show, and people were bringing their laptops up to us. We were helping them load up XGL, doing whatever they wanted wanted to get their machine up and running. And, and in fact, we even helped a couple guys who weren't running the sled distro. They were running other distros, and we were helping them get XGL running. Yeah, so uh, it was a great show all around. I, I, I really enjoyed it, and I hope we can head back next year again. Yeah, the, the one other thing that I want to comment about this show, well, actually, I've got two additional comments. One was my interaction with other distros. It was really the oh, yeah. first time that I had been to a show where it wasn't, you know, our distro against your distro. I mean, I had just fantastic conversations with the Mbutu guys, with the uh, Debian guys, with several different people there. Absolutely. Well, okay, so I'm going to give one little exception on this. The Red Hat guys did put a, 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 almost a kick-me sign on my back. They put a Red Hat sticker on your back. They and put a Red Hat... Uh, um, logo on our booth. Logo on a, our booth. But we did have fun with them. We uh, They gave us a bag of Red Hat material. That was that was actually for our charitable contribution to Amnesty International that we did in as part of the fundraiser behind uh, clipping off Jonah Bacon's beard. Pictures now on my blog. Uh, but yeah, so we ended up with the prize for that, the uh, bags of Red Hat gear. Yeah, of various Red Hat gear. And so what we did is when uh, Ted and I had our session, if you asked a stupid question during the session, you got a uh, piece of Red Hat propaganda. 
Thanks, Red Hat. Appreciate the help. But no, seriously, um, the Red Hat guys were very cool with us. I think we were we were very cool with them, or at least I tried to be. Um, you probably were cool with them. But um, th- yeah, all the all the different vendors that were there, there was not that whole kind of animosity or anything. It was very much a community feel to it. Yeah. What was the other thing? Well, um, <laughs> the other thing was for the first time I was at a conference where somebody couldn't describe me by saying, "Go find the small guy with the weird beard," because it, pretty much everybody there had some strange facial hair thing going on. Yeah. You were actually decidedly less freaky looking than most of the audience there, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, <laughs> it's weird when I'm the conservative looking one. I'm not used to that at all. So, um, but I, I, I guess the last thing is we did a birds of a feather session and we also did a presentation. We had a lot of people come up to us afterward and or in the birds of a feather session and give us all kinds of feedback, especially about things that they like or didn't like about Susan Linux. Yeah, we, we actually, uh, in that Birds of a Feather, took pages and pages of notes of questions that people had, as well as I got a chance to sit down with a couple individuals and get their feedback, and we were able to, it, it was just perfect timing, because right after that, we left for Nuremberg, and we were able to take all those questions and ask them of the actual engineers when so that, they were still fresh in our head. For people that don't know, when we say Nuremberg, we're talking about Nuremberg, Germany, which is where SUSE has traditionally been based and where they are still based today. So we got to go to the SUSE offices with this feedback from a lot of friends that we made at Lug Radio Live and go straight to the engineers and, and ask them questions about it and get feedback. And uh, we made one friend there, Hein Peter, who uh, was a cool dude from... Uh, from uh, Netherlands, and uh, just outside of Amsterdam, and he actually gave us a ton of feedback, more feedback than just about anybody else. Yeah, a- actually, I, I do feel bad for Hein Peter. Uh, Hein Peter is just absolutely a fantastic individual. He's the dude. He's just a dude, and he just gave me a page full of notes to go, uh, of questions to go ask the engineers, and Unfortunately, um, we saw Hein Peter right on our way back from Germany, didn't we, Ted? Yeah, we, we we actually hung out with him in Amsterdam for pretty much the better part of an evening. Took him out to dinner and everything, and let him know all the answers to all of his questions. And apparently, we were a little bit hyper when we were doing it. A we little bit wound up. up. About, we were pumped up about having been to Nuremberg and talking to all these cool engineers that are there and learning a lot of stuff that we'd only heard about from the same kind of stuff that most of uh, Novell's customers here about stuff from like auto build and things now here we get to hear about it for real uh and right from these guys mouths and so we're all pumped up on this and 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 finally hein peter just goes you guys realize it's like spending an entire evening with novell open audio he he couldn't believe that uh what you hear on novell open audio is really close to our personalities and how we are in real life except edited a fair amount yeah really because there's there's a lot of slips uh but anyway the 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 thing that Hein Peter actually came up when he first introduced himself to me, or actually John O'Bacon brought, brought him up to me to introduce me, the first thing he said is, I'm going to punch you. And it's because he had listened to five hours straight of Novell Open Audio just before that. So then he comes around, uh, or we come back down to Amsterdam and hang out with him, and sure enough, he gets another five hours straight of Novell Open Audio from us. It was pretty bad. Uh, and I do want to have one other uh, statement that I'd like to make that I heard from all of our travels was people didn't believe that this announcer voice you hear from Ted is his real voice, and that's actually how he talks, and that he does just in normal conversation drop into an announcer voice. It has nothing to do with Nobel Open Audio. That's just Ted. It's just my odd personality defect. 
so anyway, um, we got all these interviews. We talked to all these different engineers about stuff. We put it on our blog. So Aaron's going to have a blog post or has a blog post probably by the time this episode's on air, uh, listing out many of the interviews. I've already posted one thing of some of the interviews that uh, we've gone through. So uh, we'll link to our blogs from this particular episode so you can check out all the different stuff that we've, uh, that we've done. But let's check out our first interview right now. All right, to kick this off, let's start with a quick look at what the difference is between our community distribution, the one that's freely downloadable, and our commercial distribution called SUSE Linux Enterprise, which includes both the desktop and the enterprise server version. Uh, so starting with the, the community edition, OpenSUSE, or as it's classically been known, SUSE Linux 10.0, SUSE Linux 10.1, OpenSUSE is really a distribution that is intended for people who are Linux geeks, Linux heads, uh, and it's not a an official supported distribution. It's supported more through uh, lists and things like that, and it generally has the bleeding edge stuff in it. Yeah, it has a quick turnaround time. We see a new version of OpenSUSE anywhere in between every about eight, six months or so. Yeah, somewhere in between six and nine months. Yeah. And generally, what we do with OpenSUSE is we put a lot of bleeding edge technology in there. You'll see multiple versions of a specific class of application. So if you're looking at a something that's going to allow you to look at photos, you're not going to see just one specific application. There's a good chance you're going to see four or five, so you can really take a look at the different applications and make a choice for yourself what you think is best. Yeah, and the other thing is you'll find there are so many packages in there to try out and test, but a lot of the stuff that gets in there gets in there much earlier than the enterprise things because it hasn't necessarily been tested as thoroughly or hardened as much. So like uh, Zen or Zen or uh, XEN, however you want to say it, that's all been uh, that was all put into earlier versions of SUSE Linux uh, on the OpenSUSE side and has finally hit SUSE Linux Enterprise Server in version 10 where it's actually an officially supported uh, released item. I think it might have been released in a service pack through SLES 9 or something. Yeah, actually, I think you're correct there. But the point is, we use OpenSUSE a lot of times to harden applications. It gives us a chance to get the application out in the community and get them to start to play with it so that we can get more and more bug reports back and see if people are really going to use the application. Now, the in- interview that we've got coming up, this is going to focus on SUSE Linux Enterprise, although we do have an interview coming up uh, after we get through several SUSE Linux Enterprise things to give an update with uh, SUSE Linux, uh, excuse me, OpenSUSE, so that you get a little bit of an idea of what's going on with OpenSUSE from both the developer evangelist as well as the product manager for that and some of the things they're trying to do with the community. Now, this interview, our goal on this was not to go for the marketing points on SUSE Linux Enterprise, but to talk to some of the people who lived in the trenches through the whole development cycle. If you want the marketing points, you're going to find those on web pages and product flyers and things like that. And those are generally produced by people who work in product marketing or PMM, product marketing managers. Um, those, those people are frontline to the exposure of the product to the world generally through marketing messages and things, but they work in close conjunction with somebody called the product manager. Aaron and I have both been product managers. Yeah, product managers generally the person who talks to customers, listens to what customers really want to see in the product, and they take those concepts that the customer wants and they turn them into requirements. And they live inside this world called the PRD, the product requirements document. That document, though, is negotiated and worked on uh, between usually the product manager and the engineering manager. The engineering manager leads up the engineering team, sets schedules and all those kind of things. 
and really does the job of saying what's possible for the product. Yeah, and specifically what's possible within the given time frame. Absolutely. When they want to release the product. Now, a couple other entities that exist in this, and these are the kind of people that we're going to be exposing to you in this interview. There's the QA manager, or quality assurance manager, or testing manager. And this person has to do the job of saying, does the software that the engineers are making actually meet the requirements that the product manager has specified? Yeah, the other thing they do, of course, is they do testing. They make sure that the code is solid, is secure, and is really hardened and and ready for the enterprise. Right. So they live very intensely with the product. And they often have to interact with partners like, you know, the IBMs and the HPs and the Dells of the world in order to do testing on different hardware platforms and things as well. One last character in this whole equation, the project manager. The project manager herds cats. And what we mean by that is they have to actually rustle up all the different characters that we've already said and keep them all on track, know when deliverables are supposed to come in, keep everybody on delivery schedules, or adjust schedules accordingly. So this person has a pretty tough job, especially when you get to Sousa, where you have uh, people like what, who we're about to hear, where this is not just simple project management of looking at schedules and things, but it's interacting with various vendors, getting the driver downloads process working, and all this kind of stuff. And that's who we're about to hear from to find out what are the top five reasons for Sousa Linux Enterprise. Just off of our interview from Eric Anderson uh, just a short time ago, we wanted to get a couple more details on SUSE Linux Enterprise. And for that purpose, Aaron and I, as one of the things we were doing in Nuremberg, are talking to some of the SUSE engineers about what they, what they think are the reasons for SUSE Linux Enterprise. And so in, in retrospect here, I think we'll call this one our top five reasons for using SUSE Linux Enterprise. And joining us here in our small conference room slash studio in Nuremberg is, first of all, Gerald Pfeiffer, who is a project manager working on SUSE Linux Enterprise's uh, Linux coordination between different platforms. And maybe I don't say it quite right. So, Gerald, tell us about you. Tell us about your background and what you do at SUSE. Um, hi. So, I joined SUSE on November 3rd of 2003. You sound uncertain. I'm pretty certain. That's the that's that's uh, one day before the acquisition of Sousa by Noel was announced. So, did you know it was going to happen before you took the job? Can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> if the SEC is listening, that was a no. <laughs> um, and I, I used to work at university as a research uh, assistant, and then as a, an assistant professor and participated in several open source projects, such as uh, GCC or Wine. Which university was that? Uh, it was Vienna University of Technology. So you moved to Nuremberg for this job? Then. Yeah, it's true. All right. So it's, um, it's a pretty long commute, but uh, it's worth it, I'd say. What kind of things are you doing here now? <laughs> what, what does this project manager role mean? Yeah, I started, I started uh, focusing on Itinium and then the software development kit. These days, my main responsibility is everything related to, to our enterprise product and coordinating things with enterprise products. So I'm, I'm, the, I'm the main interface on, on the SUSE level between product management and engineering when it comes to feature planning and schedule planning 
for the enterprise products on the one hand, and on the other hand, I'm one of the main interfaces working with partners on, again, on the engineering side. I think our expression in English uh, that we normally use, or at least in America, is, which is almost English, um, is herding cats. It sounds like you probably herd cats. Round up all the cats, <laughs> get them all moving together. <laughs> yeah, I think you could put it that way. I'm, I'm trying to herd. Um, so you could also say that I'm not actually do, doing any work. I'm just uh, trying to connect people and, and move move connections around and, and knowledge around and, and tasks around, fortunately. Great. Also joining us is Misha Istini, um, and he's director of SUSE Quality Assurance, or QA. Uh, Misha, welcome to, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi. Um, yeah, I joined SUSE some five years ago. My history in Linux is quite long. I used to work for a Utah-based Linux company before. Not Caldera, was it? Sure. There's a few people here that, yeah. that worked at so. Caldera at one point. Did you, did Our question that we've asked all of them, did you escape on time? Um, yeah. <laughs> we, like we just, almost everybody else who joined Susan this time, so we managed to bring the whole team over here a long time ago. And I built up the testing department inside Caldera and SCO at this time when we had the, at Caldera um, Linux development team. Joined SUSE 2002, 2001, end of 2001, and started to build up a QA team over here. And now I'm responsible for the testing quality assurance of all Linux products, if you want so. So from the box product up to the enterprise. All right, so let's get started on it. Now, now that we've gotten a little bit of an idea of who you guys are, I want to get away from all the marketing bullet points and those kind of things and get your impression of what you guys think are the reasons why somebody should use an enterprise distribution, specifically SUSE Linux Enterprise, instead of using some kind of uh, community distribution that may be out there, one of the uh, things like, say, uh, uh, Debian or Ubuntu or any any of the other uh, free distributions out there. Why pay for Linux and why pay for uh, SUSE Linux if somebody's going to do it? Do you guys have any kind of list that we can look at on that? Support enterprise life cycles. These two are certain issues. Um, our sorry, that's marketing again, but um, our certifi certification stacks from hardware certification to software certification. That's another one. Um, the testing efforts, the hardening of the whole product, of course, and um, most of all the involvement of all the partners and customers that we have outside, which have a strong saying and a strong involvement from the planning phase up to the release phase. All right. Well, let's, let's uh, maybe look into some of those. What, when you guys say uh, partners, let's start with that one maybe. Tell us about what you mean by partners. What's, what is it about partners and Novell, SUSE, that is different from, say, these other distributions? Well, um, to begin with, uh, some of these partners talk to us where they, they actually don't talk to most of the other distributions. So that's, that's already one thing we bring to the table. Um, if, you look, if you look at how we develop products from the early planning phase to, to the implementation phase, the beta phase and then, then the deployment, um, you will see that partners are extremely important for us. 
and uh, we are pretty important for the partners and the, and the customers uh, for, for the same reasons. Can, can I interrupt you for real quick? When you say partner, partner is just kind of a generic term. Yeah, what, yeah. what are you referring to? So, um, obviously, Novel has, I mean, virtually hundreds of partners. Those partners that are of most relevance to us in engineering are the big independent hardware vendors and the big independent software vendors. So people like IBM, um, EMC, Dell, I, HP, IBM, Dell, Oracle, SAP, Veritas. Uh, and your component vendors. We're working with QLogic, Adaptech, NVIDIA, um, AMD, and Intel, uh, not to be forgotten. Um, and um, what this gives us is is insights into into the plans for those partners. For example, yesterday I got uh, a hardware roadmap from Intel for the next three years, which I, I can't even give to any of you because you are not on that specific list. We we won't tell anyone. It's cool. I, I can give it to you. I have to kill you afterwards. <laughs> but, um, He's probably serious about that too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and this this obviously does allow us to do to do planning with, with that information in the backs backs of our heads. Even if we can't can't reveal information, we can do um, we, we we can ask our engineers to focus on specific areas because we know something is going to become important. Um, we can ask our QA teams, and Mika can comment on that, to start thinking about how to test technology X. So, so these kind of partnerships, when you're talking about these partnerships then, this is stuff that influences the development cycle. So when SUSE Linux Enterprise 10, not, not just as it's going out, it's not, this isn't just one of these handshake partnerships that you know, look good on paper and everything, but really doesn't, it's not really meeting the road or anything like that. It's really, uh, we're talking here, the partnership gave us these kind of plans early on in the development of SUSE Linux 10, and this was built in for not just where the technology was at the time, but where it was going. I guess that could be an, uh, an interesting differentiator just on the hardware level alone, because so many Linux distributions can only look in retrospect at the hardware that exists. Exactly. You guys are planning ahead. Well, that's, that's mostly the effort what we are doing. The hardware vendors are having new production lines. They are planning new hardware types of servers, desktops, whatever. And they want, of course, to have these machines enabled for the future products for their customers. So what we are requested to do is, for example, now for a major hardware vendor to enable this machine. So we are getting prototypes or you know, new machines over here, and our engineers are trying to enable our future enterprise products so that it works on this kind of new machines. So you probably get some pretty cool new hardware, huh, Misha? Mm. <laughs> yeah, you can say. Yeah, for example, the, the notebook you're using, and we, we won't comment what, what brand it is, but that notebook you're using, we've had that uh, like three quarters of a year before. Not in that nice right here? Um, <laughs> no uh, not in that nice case. And, you know, prototype here, prototype there. But we had access to, to that hardware. So once you release the product, everything works. Yeah, the drivers are there the day the product ships. And it's tested, optimized yeah. and tested. So a second, a second part in this, in this partnership is not only that the planning and the enablement of all these features. The one, one major, major point of this one is uh, we have, of course, uh, not an unlimited number of resources here. 
by partnering with, with such big vendors, hardware vendors and software vendors, we are trying to work very closely with them together and to align also, for example, testing efforts. So we are exchanging testing plans with them, we are exchanging test cases with them, scenarios, use cases, and like this we are able to to use the 200 QA people from IBM, the 100 from Dell, the 50 from Oracle and so on, making sure that these people, and which are customers of us in the end, um, work with us together to, to harden and to, to enable our product on their platforms. It's, it's a huge effort. And uh, one of the technologies that allows us to actually uh, achieve, achieve that goal is uh, our build system and our configuration management system, which is called AutoBuild. And uh, two things, or three things, actually are important here. One is, by us using AutoBuild, we can accept changes to, to packages in our distribution very quickly. We can have them in what we call a beta tree, so a developer can test something. If it works sufficiently well, he can hand it over to QA and other developers, and when we're satisfied, we can fully integrate it. Um, the other thing is, with AutoBuild, we are able to churn out CD and DVD ISOs at incredible rates. I don't have the numbers ready right now, but we're talking about like hundreds of ISOs a week during the Coten release cycle. And we have a conversation coming up with the AutoBuild team, so we'll be able to talk to them a little bit about what's uh, what that is. So we'll get a little bit more on that. What else? Do, what, but what does AutoBuild do for uh, for the actual enterprise ability, or how do, how does it make it more of an enterprise ready distribution? Can you can you give us just a little bit of that? Well, it ensures that the product is built um, in a how do you call this in English? In a consistent way. consistent way. So the right environment with the right libraries without uh, missing dependencies on and the most important thing on all platforms. Well, this auto build is uh, one major pillar, if you want, so in our common code base history. So it's. You need this auto build as enabling for for this common code base. So let's talk a little bit about testing in QA. Um, what do you do when testing in QA to ensure that the distribution is ready for the enterprise and solid and not going to have bugs? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Next question. <laughs> so okay. That's called keeping the audience paying attention, right there. Um, we started very early in, in, um, in our history to put a lot of effort in automating testing. Um, that's a main issue for um, to make sure that we, we can get the needed coverage which is requested in an in a, um, enterprise environment. If you see that we have each week, for example, a new cut, a new snapshot, a new beta coming out, and we have to make sure that thousands of test cases are run during this, this week until the next snapshot is coming out, the only way to handle this is a huge portion of automation. So that's one part of the QA and testing process where we are very proud of. If you can, you can talk about the auto build and you have at the same time something like an auto test, a test environment where Tests are running automatically, partially in auto build, partially outside of it. Uh, we have a 
huge database with test cases collected from the community, from NTS, created by us, and NTS, so that's uh, Novell Technical Support, correct? Yeah, exactly. Correct. And one of the major things is uh, in there that we are enabling also our partners, again, and customers, to deploy tests and we can integrate them in our QA process. This means very early in a development process we can make sure, for example, that an Oracle does not break or an SAP because we are running their in-house tests, their test suites and their certification suites in our testing environment. So with each kernel change that we have, for example, we make sure that Oracle is still running, that SAP is still running and so on. So we, we ensure that when we give you a security fix or an upgrade to a library or anything, it's not going to break the application that's running on it. Exactly. Good. Maybe we can talk a little bit about certification. Yeah, so um, <laughs> that's an inter interesting one because when, when we talk about certification, most people think about testing. You test the hardware, you test the software. From my point, point of view, as, as someone working with partners, the certification story actually begins much earlier because um, I don't want to give our first release candidate to our QA or Oracle and ask them to test and then they come back and say, look, it doesn't crash but it doesn't fulfill our needs so it, it, it's completely useless for customers. So when you're saying certification then, Gerald, you're saying that this is certification with the partner so that the partner puts a stamp on our, on our product saying this is certified with SAP or, or is it the opposite? Is it it's saying, both. It's both directions. It's both. Novel, if you look at things, things as a stack, so you have the hardware, you have the operating system on top of that, yeah. you have the middleware, and then you have the applications. How stacking works is usually that one layer certifies the, under the underlying layers. So Novell with our enterprise products, we certify hardware. Middleware vendors certify SUSE Linux Enterprise server or desktop. And then the application vendors certify the whole stack, either they certify specific middleware or the same middleware on X and Y. In some cases, there is an exception like the Novell Yes certification program, which certifies in all directions. But uh, it's you mean not like a complete stack certification? Uh, then no, the Novell Yes certification certifies the hardware and certifies also software. So we are giving partially software vendors or soft ISVs a certificate that their product is running with with our operating system. But the usual way is you have the hardware, you have the operating system, you have the middleware and the application, and it goes uh, top-down. And Well, and the reason you want certification is customer having a technical problem, he wants to pick up the phone and say, okay, fix this. And what he doesn't want to hear is Oracle responding, sorry, Oracle and Debian, is not is not certified. We don't support that. So that really brings up uh, the final thing you guys mentioned, which is support. The ability for when a customer has a problem to get on the phone to call somebody, uh, to call Novell specifically, and say I'm having a problem, and really rely on us to figure out the problem, whether it's software, whether it's hardware, and not point fingers back and forth. Right? Yeah. Right. Can you talk a little bit about the support that we provide? Um, yeah. Sure. 
basically, basically the idea with the support is we and our major partners want to give it to customers is that the customer is one phone number that can be Novell, that can be an OEM, um, and the customer calls that one phone number. And he gets support from that phone number um, and doesn't have to care about the rest. Behind the scenes, what we, what we have, we have contracts, we have processes working with those other partners. So um, when a customer calls, we take care of the rest. We call the hardware, we work with the hardware vendor, we work with the chip vendor, we work with the, the Java vendor, for example. And I have had more, more than uh, my regular dose of such incidents <laughs> recently. But the, the point is it works pretty well. Yeah, what we are talking about is this mostly this level three support. So the level one support is done by the Novell uh, support organization. When it comes into engineering in our organization, then this is a level three support incident where you need real tough people and bright people to help the customer out. And that just goes out. So that gets escalated when they can't resolve at level one. Exactly. It goes to backline support type people, level two exactly. support. And, and if it can't get fixed there, then it gets to one of our teams. We have dedicated engineers who take this one, this level three. And if these guys cannot solve it, then it goes to the crown jewels. And this is the SUSE Labs guys, which are you know the most bright people we have in the SUSE Labs, you know, kernel and GBC area and so on. And this one, um, this team is doing a very good job, mostly to help also the customers. So maintenance is a, is a big portion of the work they have to do, unfortunately. One of the key things that you guys mentioned that I, I really didn't think of before, though, is that the actual customer doesn't have to call us direct, that if they're having a problem with an IBM server, you mentioned that they can call IBM. And really what we're doing is we're guaranteeing that if a customer calls IBM, and is having a problem with SUSE running on IBM, they can talk directly to IBM, and we're not going to tell IBM, you know, it's your problem, fix it on your own. We're going to work directly with IBM to make sure that right. the so problem is resolved. The main, the main uh, benefit we provide is there is no finger pointing. There is a customer problem, and we and the various partners do everything that's needed to get the customer up and running again. And that's, that's our main objective, and that's what we... I think that's our business case, in fact. Yeah. So it really sounds like you guys, you guys have given us five things here. And by the way, with, with, without really much of a pre-compiled list, you guys have managed to bang, 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 nail out five. And I guess that's kind of what we expect coming, coming here and saying, give us a top five. And suddenly we've got five. Uh, so we've talked about partners. We've talked about auto build. We've talked about what, uh, help me out here. Testing. Uh, certification. certification and support. Okay, so with these five items that you guys have given us right here, it doesn't sound like any one of them really stands alone. It's They're threaded throughout each other. I mean, we come to support and it's back to partners. We talk about partners and it's back into certification. And it, so these are all really just kind of, you can't do just one of these things and have the uh, entire thing stand on its own. Is that correct? Sure. So, all right. You know what, though? Since I've got you guys in the room, I do have one question that I've always wondered, which is, how does a new application get into the SLES distro? Uh, how is it decided what's going to be put in, or how do we decide that we want to add something new? Or, or, or another way to look at that question, I guess, would be, when do you guys block? <laughs> when do you stop it from going in? Well, this guy is Mr. No. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. No. 
actually that, that was my predecessor who had that nickname. Yeah. Yeah, so we have a tool, and I think when you talk to our internal tools team, you, you will hear about the tool, it's called FATE, uh, the FATE of features. And uh, basically, we have opened that tool to everyone inside Novell, so engineers can make proposals, obviously PM can make proposals and they have a pretty strong vote, and, and partners also have access. And at the end of the day, we have a large soup of feature requests. We're talking for Cool 10, we're talking about virtually thousands. Can you imagine? Thousands of feature requests. Um, and then we sift through all of these, because all of these, someone considered it important enough to, to do the work, make the feature request. Uh, we sift through those. PM gives some rough ideas on, on the focus of a product, for example, um, it was very clear from the beginning that S XGL uh, won't be requested for the server product because it doesn't make sense to have XGL on a C-series mainframe because C-series mainframes don't even have any form of graphics output. XGLs, the desktop effects that we've been seeing in right, those cool, you know, those cool bubbling windows, turning, turning cubes and all that. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess it doesn't really make sense to have that on. That's very cool for a desktop. You, you don't need it for a server where you only have a serial console. Right. On the other hand, OpenOffice would be another example. You don't run OpenOffice on a big server. On the other hand, Samba server, Apache web server, not for a desktop product. So it's these kinds of, of guidelines you get from PM. Yeah, one, one part is, of course, you know that you have a feature, but you need an application for this. And, for example, you have three or four applications which do more or less the same outside in the community. One help is, of course, the OpenSUSE.org, where you have maintainers, you have the applications in there, and you can take a look which one is the more solid, the, the more mature of them. And together with the community, we also select the application that we will then integrate in there, which fits this special feature. So, okay, so when somebody requests a feature, you go out and you take a look to see what the best, most stable, and maybe most mature application out there that meets those requirements is available, and if it makes sense, and if it's solid enough, you'll put it in the release. Well, this is, this is valid, of course, for applications. If we have features like, uh, I need, um, I don't know, um, new SCSI driver or something like this, then you don't go for this one, but you take whatever is in there and um, upgrade this driver. So it's, um, well, you need to see whether there is a benefit for the general customer base. Sometimes you get feature requests which make sense for one and only one customer. You don't want to put this in a general purpose product with all the QA and, and seven years of maintenance. It depends on the business case. Well, we can talk, yeah. Again, if the business case is sufficiently large, if you throw millions at us, we, we can do something. We do if the business case is large or you throw millions at us. <laughs> well, actually, coming from the product management side, I understand this because it's quite often that we have one customer that's asking for one feature, but when you really look at it and you think about what they're asking, you realize that that customer is actually just about 18 months or two years ahead of everyone else and you know that everyone else is going to be asking for that same feature down the road so you might as well start to think about it now yeah. and start to build for it. Right. And uh, another another gating factor obviously is feasibility. We need to be sure that we, we can get the thing stable enough or it's already sufficiently stable in the community and we just need to do testing and, and final stabilization. We need to make sure we have the knowledge in-house. 
So we can One. we can handle the support for the customer. Now you mentioned for the third time testing and. I want to say also something more to this testing. One, one aspect which I didn't mention before, which is great and, and it's, it's a huge, huge positive value for, for Novell, is all the testing teams and the labs and the experience that we have in ProBook. There are dozens of people which have a very, very long experience in st stabilizing and making a product hard. And to work together with these guys and to use their knowledge and their equipment, the super lab and so on, it's of course what major issue to to get this product like it is now. Absolutely, and we'll and, and being two guys that have just come here from Provo, we'll take that as a thank you. <laughs> so, uh, guys, we really appreciate your time uh, taking some time out of your day to talk to us, give us a sort of different view than what you might see inside a lot of the marketing literature. So. Gerald, th thank you, and uh, Misha, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, we really thanks appreciate a lot, it. guys. You're welcome. And that's it for this episode of Novell Open Audio. We're going to be cranking out a whole bunch more episodes over the next few weeks. It's going to be a fairly intense time frame here, especially if your name is Mike the Audio Guy. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated and is entirely directed or mostly directed by the two characters you hear here plus our listeners who tell us who to talk to, what interviews to get, things to do, etc. You can go online and rate any of our episodes by going to novell.com forward slash open audio and you can email us your suggestions by emailing openaudio at novell.com that's it for this show we'll see you next time <laughs>